Let's open the precious Word of God before which we should tremble to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe that if more trembled at the Word of God, we would not be in such a small minority when it comes to the truth of the gospel and our salvation that's in Christ. Yes. Amen. Tremble at His Word. A loving Heavenly Father, yes. His brow is crowned with glory and grace. It's majestic sweetness, as we sang, that we always want to see both sides of our Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to try to wrap up today all the loose ends, hopefully there's not too many of them, and tie them together and finish this study of why preach the gospel. We believe that salvation is entirely by the grace of God. Amen. That God chose to save some, and He performed all the operations of grace by Himself for His own glory and praise in eternity to display His perfections to the universe. And He chose to pass over the rest who are the vessels of wrath, and they have the wrath of God abiding on them, and they shall come into condemnation and be destroyed with an everlasting destruction in hell for the perpetual praise of His power and glory. If we were to consider those two groups of people and think about it soberly as wise men, We all deserve to go to hell. There is no injustice on the part of God for saving some and not all. It is beyond our comprehension as to why He would save any. He did not save any angels. And for Him to save any men that are a lower level of creature, why? That does not make sense to me. I believe if you were God, none would be saved. I can tell you if I was God, none would be saved. Because all we can see is the power and glory of a God who has little creatures here on earth raising their fists against the Most High. And what keeps Him from obliterating them but His own great purpose? Before our first fathers ever raised their fists against the Most High, God had already purposed the whole scheme and plan of redemption. That's right. Amen that He would create, that men would fall, that He would redeem some for His honor in His mercy and grace and bypass the rest for His honor in His power and great glory and justice. We believe that, that salvation is entirely by the work of God. It's His work. We're saved by grace. When we say that, we mean it. When we read, when Jesus said it is finished, we mean it. Everyone else that we know of all sorts of persuasions says that it was sort of finished, but the sinner needs to finish it. They say it's by grace and by free will. It's by grace and by the instrument of faith. They're always adding. We want to add nothing. Amen. We want to add nothing. And so when we look into the Word of God at the Gospel... We see the gospel as being the good news revealing 
unconditional salvation for the elect. Amen. We don't look into the Bible and see the gospel as being a sacrament that brings the power of salvation. It brings the message of the power of God in salvation. Amen. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to start ourselves this morning. Brethren, four sermons in a row on this subject, and you know from the past year, this is not my chief theme. My chief theme is the holiness with which we better be having in our lives and our homes. But I want to remind you that there are books in the Bible, like the book of Galatians, that deals with one error from the first verse to the last verse to correct and establish the people of God in the true grace of God. Those Galatians thought that they had to add to the grace of Christ, circumcision, and keeping the law of Moses. And so Paul spent a whole book dealing with that subject. I go into the book of 1 Corinthians and I see nothing but 16 chapters covering about 16 different errors of that church and the apostle correcting them. And so this morning, I'm preaching one more time on this subject why I preach the gospel to wrap up the loose ends and to give you a foundation because this is what separates us from much of the Christian world. We believe salvation is by grace. Amen. And we put a great big period there. We, we like to use an exclamation mark Right. Because we want to give God all the glory. Amen. Let's come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read some very popular verses, but we're going to understand them this morning because we've already looked at them. We want to remember the sense that they have. Verse 17, Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Right there in verse 17, we're told something that goes contrary to this day, and that is the gospel should be preached simply, not with wisdom of words. The more eloquent a man, the less service he does the gospel. Right. Because the gospel ought to be presented the bare bones, facts that Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem us from our sins and the condemnation of hell according to God's eternal counsel. And it should be plainly, simply laid out, and God's elect will hear that message and rejoice in it. If you preach in eloquence, then more men are going to rejoice in it because they think that it applies to them by the warm, fuzzy feelings they get by being in an assembly where they enjoy the sound of what comes out of the pulpit. If you don't understand what I meant by those by that little explanation of verse 17, I'll remind you that when he said, I do not preach with wisdom of words, he explains that further in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where he says that he was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He determined not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And He did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring the testimony of God. He just laid out the Word of God. We saw that in Acts chapter 13 just a few weeks ago. He opened the Word of God and laid out a few promises and said, These promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Those who didn't want to believe it, they were appointed to condemnation according to 1 Peter Amen. chapter 2 and verse 8. Those that believed it were showing they were the elect of God. Amen. He says in verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How do you make sure that every convert is a true convert of God, truly the elect of God, by simple Bible preaching? No one else will like it. That's what we're going to read in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So many believe that the preaching of the cross is the way to save the perishing. But it says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The only hearer that ever hears the preaching of the cross and sees in it the power of God are those that are saved. Brethren, do you see that? Young people, do you see it? Children, do you see it? We do not believe the gospel is a sacrament for Baptists. You know, Rome has seven sacraments. The daughters of Rome have two sacraments. The Baptists said, we don't like sacraments, so we're going to call them ordinances. But yet, if you look at most Baptist churches, they think they've got a sacrament. A sacrament is an external sign that conveys inward grace. And so they think that preaching the gospel is a sacramental sacramental vehicle for God to send grace. We believe the gospel is the message, the revelation, the news, the information about the grace of God. It doesn't convey God's grace. God's grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God's grace was fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's grace was applied to us in the act of regeneration, which is by the Holy Spirit of God, which who blows when and where He pleases. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But we preach the gospel because it declares the grace of God, tells us how we were saved, tells us about that cross, tells us about the eternal covenant of redemption. And when the elect of God hear that message, that faith is already in their hearts because it was implanted there in regeneration. They hear that message and they love it. They love it. Those that are perishing hear that message and they despise it. It's foolishness. And so they come and go. Just think of all the visitors we've had over the years. Just think of all those that you've told the gospel to. Just think of all those that have heard tapes. They care not for true the true gospel of grace, because there's no appeal in it except to the elect, because the elect have the word of faith in their heart and in their mouth. I showed you that last week in Romans chapter 10. Verse 18 we've read. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? All philosophers and their philosophizing and speculating about the origin of the world and the purpose of man, they find out nothing. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Man cannot find out about God except that he has a Godhead and eternal power. Romans chapter 1. Any further revelation about God comes through the preaching of the gospel. Men would not know about God except by servants of the Most High God declaring His Word to them. 
And the salvation that we read there in verse 21 is the salvation to the knowledge of God. We wouldn't know about God unless beautiful feet had brought us, and it was brought to me as well as to you, beautiful feet brought us the message of the Word of God. And so we were saved to know that there's a God, what He has done, what He expects, what we can do to please Him, and all that the Bible contains. Amen. For the Jews require... Listen, brethren, verse 21, when it says that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, you know from all the time that we've spent the last three weeks that that could not be talking about election. Do we believe in order to be elect? Of course not. Election took place before the foundation of the world. Do we believe in order to be justified by Christ and the cross? No. Because that took place 2,000 years ago. Do we believe in order to be regenerated? No, we're incapable of believing until we're regenerated. So what salvation could possibly be under consideration in verse 21? Salvation from the ignorance of God to the knowledge of God by the preaching of His Word. For, verse 22, the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now in our day and age, if the Jews require a sign, then we have charismatics. And if the Greeks seek after wisdom, then we have polished preachers. But Paul didn't give them either. But, he says, but, we didn't care what the Jews wanted. We didn't care what the Greeks wanted. We preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews it was a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks it was foolishness. But unto them, which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Those that are called by the Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, without any cooperation on their part, when they hear the preaching of the cross, they see in it the power and the wisdom of God. And we could go on to read, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren. All we have to do is look around and see that all of you have been called. How do we know that? Because you believe this foolish preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he comes down to say that that no flesh should glory in his presence in verse 29. It says in verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Of him are we in Christ Jesus. He chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. who of God, Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's all of God in that 30th verse. So that we read in verse 31 that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. I hope that you would always be disgusted to ever hear a testimony of someone who thinks they're going to get to heaven and go look up anyone that helped get them there except the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all glorying is in the Lord. Amen. And let us never put it anywhere else. This is what we believe about the gospel. The gospel brings us the message of God's unconditional salvation by grace for His elect. His covenant of redemption to save a people to His own honor and glory and to bypass the rest. Brethren, salvation is not merely a possibility. It was salvation was never made a possibility for any or for all. 
Right. Salvation is rather a certainty right. for the elect. Right. And we've looked at that in numerous places. When we look around and we listen to what is being said about the gospel, we hear Arminians who believe that man is just a little sick, but he still has a free will, that if he will simply make a momentary decision in an emotional moment and invite Jesus into his heart, he'll be born again and all the other operations of grace will be applied to him. But that God tried to save them all, Christ died for them all, and the Spirit is trying to win them all. But it's left all up to man. That is the Arminian scheme of salvation. And I don't like to use those words very often because they're not common today. And I don't want to confuse you. But that's what goes down in 98% of pulpits in our city. The Calvinists, and we would be called Calvinists by them, but we're a little more Calvinistic than the Calvinists. Because the Calvinists, and we would agree with them on total depravity, unconditional election, and limited atonement. But when they get to the point of irresistible grace, they get confused. Because they apply irresistible grace to conversion. And the irresistible grace that is never resisted, brethren, is the grace of God in regeneration. The grace of God in conversion is resisted at all times by God's elect. Because we still have these bodies of flesh and deceitful hearts still with us, though not reigning if we're in Christ Jesus. But they're still with us. We believe irresistible grace is the act of regeneration, not the act of conversion. If irresistible grace converts every man, then Paul didn't need to write Galatians because they would have been converted anyway. Well, God uses means. Where in the Bible do we see that we're going to be guaranteed conversion? God's people have varied all over the map. I want to tell you something that Abraham and Lot are both in Abraham's bosom. Because the Bible tells us that Lot was a just man a righteous man, and he's in heaven along with Abraham, but he certainly was not converted equally. Right. Irresistible grace, we believe in it, but we believe it applies to regeneration. What's the work of conversion? That is the work of the preaching of the gospel. Amen. What's, why, why do I preach? To convert men to the truth. Converting is to turn them from error to truth. That's all a minister can ever do, is to turn men from error to truth. And he can only do that in a heart with a heart that's already been regenerated by irresistible grace. We pray for the grace of God in conversion, because without his blessing, there'll be no conversion. But without regeneration, we won't even get started. And that's by irresistible grace. But conversion is resistible. Because that's turning from error to truth. And every man makes a choice in his life as to how far he's going to turn to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was one of the very best. Demas was not. Abraham was of the old covenant. Lot was not. And God calls us to turn all the way and to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to humble ourselves before His Word, and to tremble, and to live a life of self-denial and holiness, 
in this present evil world while we wait for His Son Jesus from heaven. Amen. And every departure from that calling is a lack of conversion. Or we could say, you need to be converted again. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This is the soul winning ministry of gospel ministers according to the truth. We do not save men from hell to heaven. We save men from error to truth. James chapter 5 and verse 19. Brethren, James 5.19, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That, brethren, is the work of the ministry. Amen. We convert God's elect from error to truth. Notice that, that those two verses there started out with the word brethren, if any of you. They're called holy brethren and beloved brethren in this epistle. These are God's elect. Amen. These are God's elect, but brethren, the churches of Christ and all of us in our individual lives have known that we have fallen into error many times. Right. And we need brethren and ministers to convert us back to the truth. And when we're converted back to the truth, we save a soul from death because a soul of one of God's elect in error is in a state of death. Death to fellowship with God. Death to the, death to the joy and effect of the truth. Right. Death to the glory of standing in righteousness. He's under the chastening hand of God. They're miserable. Right. And they're saved from that death by being converted. And we hide a multitude of sins because repentance covers up sins and keeps further sins from happening. Right. This is the work of conversion. This is the work of the gospel ministry. This is what we preach the gospel for. Why preach the gospel? To convert God's elect. Amen. Who regenerates them then? God blesses Amen. name through Jesus Christ our Lord and by the Holy Ghost. Who justifies them then? Jesus Christ with His death on the cross. Right. Who elects them? and predestinates them, and adopts them. God our Father, Amen. through Jesus Christ. It's all of grace. Right. We preach the gospel to convert from error. Where did Paul preach the gospel? Did he ever go on a street corner and just cut loose? Ever. Ever. Never. Never. Paul would never cast his pearls before swine. That is a ridiculous use of the gospel. He never, ever went onto the street corner and just started indiscriminately blasting away. He went to a certain place in every city. We're studying through the book of Acts, so now you know it yourselves. Every chapter we come to, where did Paul go? To the synagogue. Why would he want to go to the synagogue? Because that is where people that feared God were meeting. Why would he want to go anywhere else? Amen. Why would you want to preach to someone that doesn't fear God? Do you think you're going to give them the fear of God? Do you think that by logical reasoning and force of presentation, you can give the fear of God to someone who doesn't fear? Forget it. The fear of God only exists in a heart that has been fully regenerated by the grace of God. Amen. And so he went looking for those that feared God. And to them he preached the truth to convert them from their error to the truth. And what was the error of everyone worshiping in a synagogue? Got to keep the law 
in order to be saved. And so what's most of the New Testament written about? Converting men from the error of believing you have to keep the law in order to be saved to the true grace of Christ. That salvation is by the obedience of one. Amen. What a glorious message. And we read that in Acts chapter 13, that those Gentiles glorified the word of the Lord. They were so excited to hear that they were no longer second-class citizens of the kingdom of God, but they were first-class citizens by the righteousness and obedience and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Those are the only ones that will ever believe. This is why we preach the gospel, to convert men to the truth. Conversion has nothing to do with regeneration. Whenever you hear someone confusing those two terms, you're in deep trouble, and that person's in deep confusion. Regeneration is to make something alive. Conversion is to turn something. Those are very, very different concepts, very, very different words. Regenerate, to be born again, to quicken, to make alive. That's God's work. It's called a new creation. It's the creative power of God that's able to resurrect a soul from death in trespasses and sins to life in Christ, and it's done without any instrumentality or cooperation on our part. It is by the grace of God. Amen. But then that regenerate child of God is praying to God always, like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He's praying to God always. He has a heart that believes God, is praying to God, is trying to serve God to the best of his ability by giving alms to the people. And an angel appears to him and says, Send to Joppa for a man named Simon. Amen. He'll tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Right. What to do in order to be born again? Nope. What to do in order to be justified? Nope. What to do in order to be elect? Nope. What to do in order to please God? Amen. Yes. What to do to give back to God the answer of a good conscience after hearing what God had done for him through Jesus Christ. And we've studied all that. We've studied Acts chapter 10. in our stud- This is why the two sermons are going together morning and evening, because I want you to understand as we go through Acts, and what tonight is Acts chapter 16. We've got a jailer and we've got Lydia. When we look at Lydia and we look at the jailer, we want to understand Lydia and the jailer in the light of the whole New Testament. Eternal life is not a possibility for any or for all. It's a certainty for the elect. The word gospel means good news. So whenever you find the word gospel in your Bibles, to help yourselves out a little bit, since it's an older English word, replace it with the words good news. The gospel is the good news about the power of God in Christ. It's not the power itself. We don't believe in sacramental salvation in any way, shape, or form. We believe that Jesus Christ saved, and we preach the message. We deliver the news. We deliver the news about what Jesus Christ has done for his people. I want you to turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. There's no power in the gospel itself. The power is in Christ, and the gospel reveals it. Right. There's no power in the gospel itself. 
if there was power in the gospel itself, then we, then Paul would have gone not to places where men feared God. He would have gone to places where men did not fear God so that he could preach to them and give them the fear of God. But he didn't do that. The gospel declares the power of God. It's the news about the power of God. I want to show you the power of God. Now it said the power of God was in Christ. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, that is the gospel, the good news is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. What was God's power to all believers? Where was it? Who has the power? How is it conveyed to a sinner? Jesus Christ said after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. The commission to the apostles was to go preach based on his unlimited power. Now I want to show you how men are born again in a different place. Because men are born again by the power of the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and not the voice of any other man. Amen. John chapter 5. And verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. If you know your verb tenses, then we have he that heareth present tense and believeth, present tense, is in possession, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation in that great day of judgment, but is past the perfect tense, passive voice, from death unto life. In current modern English that you're used to reading in your newspaper, it would say, has been passed. Both expressions are Perfect tense, which means an action done, completed in the past, but still present in the present, but still true in the present. Both expressions say the same thing in the passive voice. Is past and has been past. They're both the same thing. That's John 5.24. From this, we understand from the last few weeks that when a person believes the gospel, it's an evidence of something. What's it an evidence of? Eternal life. Right. Because eternal life is to know Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. So when a man or a woman hears the preaching of the gospel and believes it, it is the evidence of eternal life. John, 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe. On the name of the Son of God. The gospel is to continually be pressing us to believe because it's the evidence of eternal life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul said, Knowing, brethren, your election of God. And if you go back and look, it starts out with their work of faith and labor of love and hope of patience. All that is evidence for salvation, not conditions for it. Right. And so see, we set squarely on the New Testament. Faith and works are all the same thing to us. 
They're all the things done to please God and give the evidence of eternal life. Amen. You would not believe the gymnastics that men have to go through who want to pull faith and works apart. Because as we looked at looked last Sunday, James chapter 2 and verse 14 says, faith cannot save a man. But they never they don't preach that text. It's difficult to preach that text when all you're doing is saying that faith is the vehicle, the condition, or the instrument of salvation to read in James 2.14 that faith can't save. Because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is the devil's faith. Faith and works are both the evidence of eternal life. They're the evidence of justification by God. The only ones that will ever believe and take their faith and add to it virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge, temperance, and patience, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, the only ones that will ever do that are the ones that God has already saved. Unto us which are saved. We receive the gospel as the message of the power of God, and we want to obey. And so it's all evidence. Faith is an evidence, and works are an evidence. They make faith an instrument, but works the evidence of the faith. But the Bible says that faith without works is absolutely nothing. All of it is evidence. Right. Brethren, we're wrapping up loose ends. Which gospel has a motivation to live a holy life? Does the Arminian gospel have a motivation to live a holy life? No. no. Your name's written in the book of life the moment that you made some emotional decision at a motorcycle rally. I mean, your name's written in the book of life in some weak moment when you invited Jesus into your heart, and as long as you have that moment to think about your names in heaven. What about the Calvinist? What about the Calvinist? Does the Calvinistic system have a strong motivation for holy living? Conversion is by irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints is by the power of God. Perseverance of the saints is by the power of God. Therefore, it's a fatalistic scheme of living a holy life because God's going to do it anyway by His power. The New Testament message is this. God saves. The only way that we can know we're saved is to believe the message that God has given of His Son and to bring forth all the works that the New Testament lists in proof that we are truly God's elect. That's why we come to a passage like 2 Peter chapter 1 where it says, brethren, give diligence. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. And faith is in that list. And so is brotherly kindness. And so is temperance. And so is godliness. Because all of them are evidences of eternal life. And we're to give all diligence to these things, not to become called, not to become elect, but to make our calling and election sure in our hearts, so that we know we're God's elect. So that we can say of ourselves what Paul said to the Thessalonians, knowing, brethren, beloved of the Lord, your election of God. A huge difference. So now, look what we have. We have the highest motivation to live a holy life. Because without a holy life, do you know what the Bible says? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. 
Now, if we believe that that holiness is going to be wrought by the power of God in irresistible conversion and irresistible perseverance of the saints, well, then we can relax. If we believe that holiness is not all that important because we made a decision for Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade 20 years ago, there's really no motivation for holiness. But if the only hope we have of eternal life is to bear the fruit and be fruitful and abound in fruit, Second Peter chapter 1, that's listed there, we have a strong motive to live a holy life because without it, we have no claim to the grace of God. Without it, we have no evidence of election. We have solved what's, what is so horribly a big dilemma to so many. The Arminians, you know, think that the sovereignty of God takes away all the responsibility of man. We've got them both. Because we're looking into the whole New Testament and seeing the grace of God bearing fruit in the lives of the elect. And that fruit is evidence. And part of that fruit is faith. Faith is a gift of God. And to the, faith alone is nothing. That's why he said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, add to your faith virtue. Because faith without virtue is nothing. The devils believe there's one God. And they tremble about it. Amen. When we get into Acts 16 tonight, there was a damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. And the Apostle Paul could command her to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because they fear and tremble before the Lord Jesus Christ. They know He is the Son of God and the Holy One of God. But faith that just believes the facts is not enough. It is faith that bears fruit in virtue. And add to your virtue, knowledge. And add to your knowledge, patience. I know I'm repeating myself. I want you well established in this. Amen. You want to make your calling and election sure? Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And bear the fruit of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And do you know what it says? You're going to get an abundance, abundant entrance ministered to you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is glorious. Amen. There's going to be angels giving you the biggest welcome you have ever received into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know how you can know that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and add to that faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Amen. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Right. That almost sounds like salvation by works, doesn't it? But it's not, because we know that salvation is all of grace. But it says in that passage, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall, because those things are evidence, not conditions. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for showing us the truth and letting us see all of divine grace, seeing that Jesus Christ is the possessor of all power, And the Holy Spirit blows when and where it pleases. And that our faith and our works are but evidence. And so you get all the glory so that those that glory, let them glory in the Lord. Amen. Amen. John chapter 5. We read verse 24, but I want to read you verse 25. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I truly mean that this time. I have a lot of favorite verses, but this is one of the most favorite because the Lord... Jesus opened this verse to me many, many years ago to understand how we're born again. I just want to point out that it's not by the preaching of the gospel. It's by the voice of the Son of God. Amen. He has just said in verse 25 that if you believe, in verse 24, Jesus has said, if you believe, that is evidence that you've already been born again. 
Well then, how were we born again? Verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. The, the, the eternal life and the power to give eternal life, the authority to give eternal life, has been placed in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Jesus Christ, when He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, He meant it. God had given him all that authority. Thou, in John chapter 17, he'll say, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as, as, many as thou hast given him. Amen. That is the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will bestow eternal life where I want to. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans chapter 9. Jesus Christ dispenses that grace of God by His life-giving voice. Amen. Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. He stunk. Jesus came to that tomb and He said, Roll away the stone. And He was told it's going to stink because it was evidence that there was a dead person in there. Right. And He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth all bound up. Now, I don't like to use spiritualization of the Word of God when I'm not given liberty to do so. But if you want to humor yourself for just a moment, the only thing that a gospel minister does is what those that were around that tomb did. And that's to get the clothes off poor Lazarus so that he could move freely. Right. The work of conversion but the work of giving life was by the voice of the Son of God. Amen. And look what we read in verse 25. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. This life-giving voice of the Son of God is not, is not the voice of your pastor. Right. It's not the voice of Billy Graham, Robert Schuller, or Pope John Paul II. It's not the voice of any man in this earth. It is the voice of the Son of God. Amen. His voice gives life. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Not only in the first creation, but in the second creation. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that God hath shined in our hearts right. by His commandment, let there be light, so that we might be born again. And life came into us by His voice. Let me show you that it is a life-giving voice by comparing that resurrection of verse 25, that coming to life and living, of dead people in verse 25. Let's compare it with another resurrection in verses 28 and 29. Right. Marvel not at this. Marvel not just at the Son of God's power in regeneration. Not just that. For the hour is coming. This is a future one. Verse 25 was present tense. There's a future one coming. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This is the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming soon where He's going to split this atmosphere and He is going to issue a shout. And all the dead are going to be raised. Right. The elect to glory in heaven forever. And the wicked 
to an eternity in hell. But it's all by His voice. He's not going to use any preachers in the second resurrection. And nor does He use any in the first resurrection. Both are by the life-giving voice of the Son of God. That is how we are born again. So much more could be said on that subject. I hope you'll never forget that. Make this comparison right here, verse 25 with verses 28 and 29, is glorious. Is it up to anyone to hear the voice of the Son of God? Dead men don't make the choice to hear. They don't have a choice left. They don't have an ear left. They're dead. There's no audio nerves functioning. They don't hear in any active way. They only hear in a passive way to whom was the voice addressed. Those bodies at the last day, if I was the wicked, I wouldn't listen. (laughs) Would you? If I was in the grave and I was a wicked man, I heard the voice come forth. I wouldn't listen. I'd stay right there because I wouldn't want to go to that judgment. But see, it has nothing to do with them. It's a life-giving voice. And it resurrects all the bodies. Some, so they get to burn in hell. And the rest, they get to enjoy heaven. All of grace. Amen. All of grace. Look at Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 2. Here's what Paul says about his ministry. I've mentioned this verse, but I don't think I've turned you to it in the last three weeks. He says in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Isn't that an amazing statement? Amen. People misunderstand Paul so much, and they understand they misunderstand, they misunderstand Paul so much, and they misunderstand the purpose of gospel preachers. Right. Gospel preachers are to endure all things for the elect's sakes. That's what it says. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, is Paul enduring all things for the elect's sake, because if he doesn't, they're not going to get eternal glory? Or is he enduring all things for the elect's sake, so that they can get a salvation which is in Christ Jesus along with eternal glory. Amen. Do you know how we know it's along with eternal glory or in addition to eternal glory? Because that's the only division of that verse that will make sense in the rest of the light of the New Testament. And because that use of the word with is the only use that will fit the word also. Because there's two salvations under consideration by the word also. That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. I've just divided it for you. Now it fits the rest of the testimony of Scripture. Paul was not out doing anything for the non-elect. And he wasn't out doing anything for the elect in order for them to get eternal glory. Do you know how I know that? Because in Romans chapter 8, it says that for whom he did foreknow, and concludes with, them he also glorified. It's the work of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Right. So much more could be said about what the gospel cannot do. If men didn't have faith, did Paul pray for God to give them faith? Or did Paul pray for God to help him stay away from them? That's right. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We will preach the gospel anywhere, at any time, to anyone who fears God and wants to hear it. Just like Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray, this is verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it was with you. How was it glorified with the Thessalonians? They believed it and immediately brought forth work so that Paul could say, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Right. Glorify the word of the Lord by believing it and obeying it. But, but pray also this request for us, Paul said, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Paul wanted to be delivered from men that don't have faith. When when does faith come? In regeneration. It's a gift of God. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us alive in the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness. That gift is given to us in regeneration. And if a man doesn't have it, why would you want to preach to him? God makes that choice. Amen. And so wherever Paul went in the book of Acts, which is the record of Bible evangelism, he went to places where men already feared God and wanted to hear the truth. He never forced himself on anyone. Acts 16 tonight, by the grace of God. Acts 16. He gets to the city of Philippi. What does he do? He doesn't go to a synagogue. Does he go to a brothel? Does he go to a street corner? Does he go to the mall? Does he go to the local dog racing track? Where does he go in Philippi? He goes out to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. He went to a prayer meeting of Jewish proselytes. And there's a bunch of women out there who are praying who don't know any better. And Paul sits down. He's very modest with women. He sits down. Luke's with him. Timotheus is there. Silas is there. They sit down and they present the truth of the gospel. And these people that already feared God and were praying to God, the Lord opened their heart to understand it and to attend to it and to believe it by the grace of God. He got into Philippi and it says he abode there several days. Do you know what he was doing for several days? Figuring out where the people that feared God met. Paul never walked out of his house and said, okay, Silas, you feeling good today? Let's get going. They pull up a trumpet and start blasting away on the street corner. Never did that. Never. Not one time in the whole Bible. Right. Always going to where men feared God. Because the fear of God shows something, doesn't it? Because the Bible says there is no fear of God before the natural man. So if a man fears God, what does it say? They're one of God's elect. And therefore, Paul said, I labor for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, along with the eternal glory that is reserved for them by the predestination and inheritance of God. We never modify the gospel, do we, to try to, like it's so commonly done today, to try to win the lost at any cost. We want to convert the elect to the truth, and we'll do anything in our power within the limits of matters of liberty as taught in Scripture 
to try to convert the elect to the truth. We believe the gospel not to obtain or secure eternal life, but to show the evidence of it and to assure our hearts before him. Did you know that there's not a single time in the epistles, not one time, that a church is told to go out and save the lost from hell? Right. Not one sentence. Do you know why? There is one Savior, and he has saved his elect from hell. Amen. And he said he would lose none of them. Right. Amen. I want somebody to show me one verse in any epistle. Any epistle written to second generation Christians like us, from Romans all the way through Jude, show me one sentence about us affecting the eternal destiny of a human soul, about a church giving money towards such ends, about a church making that the most important business of their existence. It's not there. It is not there. The eternal destiny of souls was determined in Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1 by the predestination of God. Remember, Andrew? The predestination of God. Then what is our purpose to preach the gospel? To find those predestinated elect of God and to convert them to the truth so that you and so that I might know that Jesus Christ is a victorious, complete, substitutionary Savior, and that salvation is all of grace, and there is reserved in heaven for us an inheritance that's undefiled and fadeth not away. And we have great hope because Jesus Christ has done it all. And our names are in the book of life not because we did something to get God to write them there. Our names are written in the book of life because God wrote them there before the foundation of the world because He has loved us with an everlasting love through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all of grace. Right. All the glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We preach to know what God has done for us and what we can do for Him. That's why in the epistles so much emphasis is laid on works and fruits and living a righteous and a holy life because it's that life that gives us the evidence of eternal life and it's that kind of living that pleases and glorifies God because He wants the world looking on His saints and seeing godly people. We are His peculiar people, chosen in Him, and called out of this world to live holy lives. I'll close with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so much more could be said. Brethren, the gospel saves us from so many things. It saves us from the judgment of God. What if the Corinthians had not received 1 Corinthians 11, instructing them on how to clean up the Lord's Supper? What was going to happen? More were going to be sick. More were going to be weak. More were going to be going to die in the church at Corinth. So the gospel came along in the epistle of 1 Corinthians. That is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ and his wholesome words of how we're to live individually and as a church. And so they were saved from death. That's just so many. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about men who live in bondage all their lives by fear of death. How are we delivered from the bondage of the fear of death? Right here, 1 Corinthians 15, that there is a resurrection from the dead. Here's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory 
what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, how can you believe in vain according to both other schemes? And how can you forget, how can you lose your salvation just because your memory gets bad? Did the Galatians' memory get bad? It got very bad. They forgot what Paul had preached them and they had departed to another gospel. They had been bewitched away from the truth, Galatians chapter 3. Had they lost their salvation? No. No, but they sure had lost their peace and joy and comfort in knowing that salvation was only by grace. They were struggling with keeping up with circumcision and all the commandments of the law in order to be saved. That's the difference. Notice, the salvation that comes in the gospel is lost if you forget it. Right. Because if you forget it, no longer are you resting in all the glorious promises of the gospel. And what's the glorious promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 15? There is a resurrection from the dead. Death for an elect child of God. Death for a believer is simply going to sleep in Jesus. And if you forget that, these Corinthians had. They had teachers that came along and said the resurrection is already past. And since you're still here and I'm still here and the resurrection is past... I guess there isn't a resurrection for us. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. They had forgotten the gospel. And so Paul's appealing to them through this whole chapter of remembering it. Because he says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because all we do in this life for Christ is deny ourselves. But is it worth it to deny yourself in this life if you know the exceeding and eternal weight of glory that's waiting for us? Is it worth it? Easily worth it. But guess what? If you forget the gospel that there's a resurrection of the dead like this church at Corinth did, then you lose the blessing of knowing there's a resurrection and your hope is lost because you've forgotten the gospel. And to those that don't understand salvation all by the work of Christ, they are deprived of knowing the glory of the Son of God like we know Him. Because they're still seeing the efforts and cooperation of man mixed with his glorious salvation. This is the gospel I delivered unto you first of all. That which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen of a whole string of witnesses. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of them that slept. And we're going to live with him also. And he's going to resurrect us. And how's he going to do it? By his voice. Right. Do you have to, does your body need to listen for that voice? Or will that voice give it the hearing capacity? Amen. Will that voice give it the life? Right. Could you miss that voice? Nope. Not a chance. It's all by the grace of God and the power of the life giving voice of Jesus Christ. I conclude our study of why I preach the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is to convert, to turn, to educate to teach God's elect and how to live and what a salvation they have in Jesus Christ that gives them hope and fills them with peace and joy in believing. Romans 15, 13, here in this world before, he gives us the predestinated eternal inheritance of eternal glory. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.